Hello and welcome to Annual Reviews Audio, part of the conversation series from Annual Reviews, where insightful research begins. I'm your host, Anna Rasquet Paz. In each episode of our show, we feature top scientists in fields ranging from astrophysics to sociology. In this episode, Pierre Joliot Curie, professor of biology at the Collège de France and former director of the CNRS, the National Center for Scientific Research, talks about his life and career with Jean-David Rochet, professor of molecular biology at the University of Geneva. Dr. Joliot Curie, whose grandparents Pierre and Marie Curie and parents Frédéric Joliot and Irène Curie were all Nobel Prize laureates, discusses his love of research, which he equates to an artistic endeavor and an adventure. He recounts his beginnings, growing up as a poor student in a scientific family, and how his father encouraged him to study biology rather than physics. He also explains how he came to develop instruments to study his chosen subject, photosynthesis. As a mentor, Dr. Julio Curie encouraged younger generations of researchers to have fun with their work by giving them large degrees of freedom. My name is uh, Jean-David Rocher. I'm a professor at the University of Geneva in the departments of uh, molecular biology and plant biology. And today it's my great privilege to interview um, Pierre Joliot, who is a, has been a key figure in the field of photosynthesis during the last 50, 60 years. Pierre Joliot um, is uh, been professor at the um, Collège de France. He has received a large number of distinctions and um, I'm really looking forward to interview him today. So let's start with, with the beginning. And um, of course, um, one question which arises spontaneously is, is the rich scientific past of your family. I mean, your grandfather, Pierre, uh, Curie and your grandmother Marie Curie uh, had Nobel, won the Nobel Prize in physics and chemistry. I think they actually three prizes for two persons. And then your parents, uh, Frédéric Joliot and Irène Joliot Curie, uh, also won the Nobel Prize. So of course the question is, uh, as a you know as a youngster, as a young uh, scientist, did you feel any? responsibility, any pressure? Uh, were you intimidated? How did you actually live this, this, this period? I have the great luck that I have never any pressure from my parents. F for instance, I was a quite poor student in school and I have practically no pressure and no remarks on my parents while my sister was the first everywhere, even in sport, I was always below the average and uh, my parents don't take too much care of this situation. In other terms, I have never pressure on me, but what was important is that I have, through my parents and, and directly through my great parents, a certain image of research what I learned is that research was closer to an artistic job and I learned also that what was more important in research is to take pleasure to do it. It was a game 
it was an adventure. And uh, if, I don't, if I was not able to play when I do research, I would be not a good researcher. How did you choose, actually, to work on photosynthesis? Because your parents were, were physicists. Your sister, I understand, is, is, a, is also a physicist. And how, how, how did you choose to, to work on a biological problem? One of the reasons, and probably my father was uh, is something in this choice. My father was at the origin of the development of heavy physics in France. And uh, you have a very good scientist and also a very good manager. But he discovered at the end of his life that, in fact, the science he liked to do was something much closer to his hand, you know, with shorter delay, uh, possibility of imagination, possibility to do error. When science becomes too expensive, to make error is very difficult. To be creative, you need to be able to make error. And tell me that perhaps it would be better that knowing my type of uh, mind, he think that it was probably better that I work in a more light science, if I can say. And I think he was perfectly right. The interesting thing, it takes a feeling of this type, I think, quite late in his life. He discovered, when the, the great discovery he did with my mother was made on a table. It was pure physics, but a table, it was a few hours experiment. And now, in modern physics, uh, especially in uh, high-energy physics, it's a billion uh, of dollars, it's uh, years and years, and you have not this very rapid interaction between your idea, the possibility to test an experiment, and this is the real play. And for this reason, uh, I think I was rather pushed toward biology. Now to other more precisely why photosynthesis, my feeling is I am convinced that I would be interested in any type of science. More important than the type of science I choose was the quality of the boss <laughs> I have when I start to work. It was Professor René Vuancer who have the same conception of science than me, uh, and who leave me totally free. You, you were born in Paris, mm -hmm. you studied in Paris, you did your PhD in Paris. I mean, you have worked most of your life mm -hmm. in Paris. So the only, the only, and actually in this building, right? And I start but, in this building in 53, so uh, which uh, means that... Almost uh, 60 years ago. Yeah. In uh, two years, it would be 60 years that I am in this place. Yeah. <laughs> but you, you, you told me you, you just did one postdoc in, in, in Bethel Cox lab. Yes. That was only eight months or something like yes. that. Yes. Which is also unusual because, you know, today you... You, you know, you your question is a question of mobility of researcher. At least in my field and with search of my uh, generation, I see in the state, for instance, that most of 
scientists were very mobile, you know, displacing radiation, but very stable in terms of the subject they follow. Personally, my choice was to try the was to be a little more mobile in terms of the subject, my subject of interest, and perhaps more stable in terms of my geographic uh, localization. Yes, you but know. what I find remarkable is that you did essentially all these changes, you did them on yourself. You know, usually when people change field, they go to the lab where, which is strongest in, in this particular field to, just to get acquainted with the field, but you, you did essentially everything by yourself. I would like to come back to this early period where you did this major work on oxygen evolution. Mm. I think you were the first to show this, um, this uh, four um, uh, oscillations, which eventually mm. then gave rise to the uh, cycle by mm. uh, Bessel-Cock. And um, there's one thing which I find quite remarkable in your career, and that is you always developed new uh, technology, new instruments to solve specific biological questions. And I think at the time you developed this novel technique to measure oxygen, mm. which was very sensitive. There is two important points in what you said. The first is that what is, I think, is characteristic of my approach is a mix between technical effort to develop new technique. I do it for oxygen, I do it for spectroscopy, for fluorescence. And I like very much to develop new techniques, but I never develop a technique just to make a beautiful apparatus, but because I have a specific problem to solve. What I like very much in this, it can say, double career, technical and fundamental science, is that in fundamental science, my idea is that you never know what you can find. You have to be very erratic to go in all directions, to accept to error, to stop a program, to go, uh, to have a very disorder in the way, uh, great disorder the way to work. When you develop a technique, it's the opposite. You have a precise idea of what you want. And for me, to shift from the one activity to the other, was a way to stabilize myself because when you do really fundamental research as an artistic job, you have a lot of unsuccess, you know, uh, disappointment. At this time, it was possible to go back for me to something much more continuous, much more uh, well organized, which was development of technique. What I find quite remarkable is that you were quite generous in the sense that you you provided your competitor, Bessel Koch, with this technology and eventually you were actually beaten at the end, right? And uh, today this would be almost un, you know, unbelievable that something like this would happen, that you, know, you, you provide your competitor with, with the instrumentation uh, which will eventually allow it to, to go forward. Bessel Koch played a very important role in my career. And when I work in his lab, what I find really extraordinary in the guy was he spent a lot of time to read paper coming from totally unknown people. Is why he read my paper. And his idea was always, perhaps 
There is something original and new in this, and it spent a lot of time. And for something, for somebody who was so efficient and so he discovered P700, he make a lot of a great discovery. I think that the time he spent, I said honestly, I never have the courage to do the same. I think the, the time he spent to search if some young guy somewhere in the world was not doing something important that everybody ignored was really for me an example. And really, if I have the opportunity to introduce myself in the international scientific community, it's entirely due to Besselcock. Nevertheless, I learned to Besselcock the new technique I have developed. And after having worked with Besselcock, we were in competition, but always a competition, a perfectly fair competition. I was the first. I think to make a quite significant discovery on the problem of oxygen formation in uh, photosynthesis. And finally, uh, the last word, it was Besselcock uh, that get, uh, that get the, the correct answer. And I was a little disappointed that it was not me. But on the other hand, I said, The way that Besselcock behaved with me was so important in my scientific development that I think that perhaps it does not make such a bad investment being fair with me. And I think that it was a great advantage, personal advantage for him and for me. What I learned in research was that I, I do research for fun. Now you do research to win. And I am convinced that in an artistic job, it's not the good way, you know. If a painter or a musician wants just to be better than the other one, it's not the way to be really good. He has to be good, which is something completely different. The modern world concentrates too much on the idea that what is important is not what you are really, but if you are better, than another one. This leads to competition on the same subject. You have some fashionable subject in which you have a lot, on which we have a lot of laboratory working in competition. And I think it's the worst way to, to use the money, uh, the money for research because what is important? Is it so important to know if I beat you uh, from uh, one week Uh, for a discovery. It's good for my ego or good for your ego, but for the discovery, the, the discovery will be here. If I discover something new, even not perhaps less important, but that is really new and uh, I am the only one to find it, I think it's more important. And is the way I think that uh, science could be more efficient. Yes. Uh, in this respect, I, I, I wish to to come back to a book you wrote a few years ago, which is called Research Passionately. Mm -hmm. And you know, you can read some, I, 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 I read some uh, extra, uh, some parts. And uh, I, I just would like to read one, one part of, of um, which, uh, which I particularly uh, liked. And, um, um, and I'll, I'll tell it in French. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, you wrote, um, une ambition intellectuelle excessive paralyse beaucoup de jeunes chercheurs qui se fixent comme but ultime la ou les découvertes majeures. Ils sont alors condamnés à un sentiment permanent de frustration qui peut les conduire à la stérilité. And uh, I think this is a, a lesson which I think people should, uh, young people should uh, yes. think about. Because, uh, I always said, what I want to say that For most of young people, and most of people, discovery is the major progress, you know. It's Einstein. The probability that I could be Einstein is really negligible. And the probability that I can find something new, perhaps certainly much less important than uh, yes. the theory of relativity, yes. It's quite high. In other terms, if you consider the discovery, you judge the importance of the discovery by the impact on the society, mm -hmm. it's more and more difficult to make this type of discovery. And uh, as I said, it's a great frustration if you, if you don't do it. Yeah. And personally, I always said that I make hundreds of discoveries. Nobody probably never heard of my discovery, but I know that in a certain way, it's a discovery. And this gives me the pleasure in my research, yes. you know. There's, there's another part I'd like to read and where you made a, a very beautiful comparison between science and mm -hmm. art. And you, you wrote, um, comme dans toute forme d'art, la peinture par exemple, il existe un continuum entre l'œuvre d'un Rembrandt et celle également respectable d'un peintre du dimanche. La beauté de notre métier réside dans le fait que les progrès de la science ne reposent pas exclusivement sur les découvertes de quelques rares génies, mais également sur l'activité créatrice plus modeste pratiquée au quotidien de nombreux chercheurs. And uh, a bit further, you, you add in a very modest way, je crois avoir été un chercheur créatif, bien qu'aucune de mes contributions apporter de révolution majeure dans la biologie. I think uh, it's, it's a very nice... Uh, very it's nice certainly the way that I conceive research and I fear that the way, for instance, that young scientists are now evaluated, especially what I call the quantitative evaluation, does not push young people uh, to this type of discovery that is possible, I don't say for all researchers, for, for many of them. Many of them uh, have, from my point of view, are either too ambitious or have not enough ambition, you know. Uh, you have to have the ambition which is quite close to what you can really realize. And if you are extremely good, And if you are a genius, you will know it. You have enough to fight to, to, to be it. And you can be useful, and I think I have been useful in research, mm -hmm. even if you are not a genius. <laughs> yeah. Now, okay, talking about quantitative evaluation today, um, now I'd like to talk, talk about more quantitative biology, because one thing which, which strikes me when I read your papers mm -hmm you're always very quantitative. That is, you say, you know, we have uh, X photons which are absorbed mm -hmm. by mm -hmm. photosystem one, photosystem mm -hmm. two. You have 
this complex which mm. turns over mm. so and so many times mm. per second. Everything is really quantitative and and uh, you know you did this already 20, 30 years ago and mm. and you know at the time biology was sort of more qualitative and uh, and uh, yeah, this is I find this rather striking. You are extremely uh, always you always quantitate things. Another aspect which I think is important in your uh, scientific career, I mean, not only were you an exceptional uh, researcher, but you also somehow managed to get together a group of very talented people, and which finally and today we have you know this um, photosynthesis laboratory which is now uh, first-class lab in, in, in the world. And I think the strength uh, from your part was to recognize that in order to understand, to fully understand the functioning and the regulation of the photosynthetic machinery, you have to take a multidisciplinary approach. And, and you somehow manage to attract uh, very creative persons. And the first name, of course, comes to my mind is Pierre Benoun, whom I had you know, the pleasure mm -hmm. to collaborate with for many years, who, you know, who is an incredibly creative person. And then you, know, you, you hired uh, Francis-Henri Bolman, who took over the direction of the lab and obviously has been very successful. So what was your, um, what, what was your trick to, to attract these people? My trick is, curiously, that I'm very self-concentrated on my own subject. But I know that my subject of work is a very, very small part of biology and even a very small part in photosynthesis study. In other terms, uh, even if I am personally totally concentrated in in my, on my own work, I have always a feeling that I need to have just the same idea to have people who have different subjects who think in a completely different way than me and to leave them have their life as they want to do. I think it's a vision. <laughs> I think it's a vision of, you know, how, what biology will be. In, because that was, uh, what, that was 20, 30 years mm -hmm. ago when you started this. And, and at the time, it, it was not that obvious. I mean, especially from a... From a you know, at the time, photosynthesis was mostly biophysical. There was very little genetics, or molecular biology was barely existing. And, and to have this this, uh, this long-term vision, I think, is, is quite remarkable. Don't forget that this institute is Institut de Biologie Physico-Chimique. It was created by Jean Perrin in the year 1930. And at this time, you have totally the idea that multidisciplinarity was a necessity. And at this time, it was not really, it was completely out of the view of science. Of the, and this has always been the basic uh, idea of this institute. Now, it's quite common to have Institute de Biologie Physico-Chimique. But I can tell you that uh, uh, 70 or 80 years ago, it was not at all something obvious. And Jean Perrin, who created this institute, had also the idea that he should leave to young scientists the maximum degree of freedom. 
it was the case in the institute. He was not the big head of the institute telling to everybody what they have to do. All these people were completely free physicists, chemists, and biologists to do what they want. And on this basis, uh, Jean Perrin created the CNRS, Centre National de la Recherche Scientifique. And in a conference when he created the CNRS, he said that the Institute de Biologie Physique Chimique was the pilot of CNRS because it was the first place where this type of organization of science in France was realized with uh, not completely concentrated uh, below a few very powerful uh, guys uh, who, who decide from everything. He wants to give a freedom to young scientists. Yes, I think this is something very, very important what you're saying here. I think CNRS has really been unique in this respect because, again, coming back to the example of Pierre Benoit, mm -hmm. you know, an unusually creative person, I think a person like this would probably have been crashed in the American system. I think so. Whereas he could blossom in the, in the CNRS system because of this freedom and... When Pierre Benoun arrives in my lab, he has what I consider as very clever but quite crazy project. And I can offer to him to work with me on my subject, uh, telling to him, to him, I leave you completely free to try to develop genetics in my laboratory. At this time, I, I was a I am all the way, but the, my laboratory was a pure laboratory of biophysics and genetics was completely out of my mind. This guy presents to me a project which seems to me uh, interesting. And I can take in the, the CNRS lab the possibility to, to accept him. And it was the same with all the, the excellent scientists as Bose Diner, Francis-André Volman, who come in my lab. Uh, to, to leave them out of my direct uh, control because we have this very large degree of freedom. And I think it's one aspect uh, of CNRS that I think we have to fight very strong because CNRS is often very criticized, criticized from outside. And I think that this aspect is really something we have to keep. Now, uh, another aspect uh, I, which I think is, is, um, is interesting in, in your career is you have held a, a large number of different jobs, right? You're a researcher, lab director, but you're also involved in politics, right? And you are scientific advisor of the, um, during the Mitterrand area. Yes. And uh, I think I can remember I, I once visited IBPC uh, many years ago, and um, you told me that you, you, you were on guard a weekend, and you, you, had, <laughs> you actually had the responsibility to, to handle any major political crisis. Even when you had all these responsibilities, I, I still saw you doing experiments. Just, how, how did you manage to, to do so many things at the same time? Because I am convinced that it's impossible to be a good director, you know, to be the number of uh, what you have to do is much higher than what you can do. In other terms, you have to make choice. 
And my feeling is that even the time I spend to science when I have responsibility makes that at the least I keep a real contact with real science. What scares me now in the way that the science is organized is that the pressure on uh, people having responsibilities so high that most of the time they leave completely any contact. They, they think that they are always scientists because they have always, they think, great idea. What is important for me is not so much to have great idea and to give great idea to young scientists, but to have a true feeling of what is really an experiment, what is really science. And if you are not no more doing science, it's extremely difficult to keep a contact with it. Which is the experiments you're, you're, you're most proud of? Uh, I think, honestly, all, all the time I work on the oxygen, I start very early during my thesis to show that several photons was necessary to get oxygen molecule, which gives the idea that photosynthesis was an organized system and not uh, soluble. That uh, was not soluble enzyme, but a structured system. And I think this was a period I progressed regularly. And even if I don't present the exact correct theory, nevertheless, the basic idea from the beginning was this necessity to add several photons in the same place and not to have molecules with diffuse, rad radical molecules, for example, with diffuse in the medium. This was really, I have also contribution in fluorescence, I think, in the same idea. And now, in the last part of my scientific life, I am convinced that what is really interesting in the, the basic problem of photosynthesis, the hard problem, the hard problem in the molecule, in terms of concepts, for me, is more or less solved. And what, for me, is important is organization of complex system and regulation, mm -hmm. which is a much more subtle uh, uh, problem. Uh, and this needs a, a completely different way of thinking, because uh, nothing is... A, nothing is clear-cut, you know, all the beauty of biology is that it's not order, but it's not disorder, you know, it's something in between order and disorder. It's easy to work on ordered system. We have very good method to work on random system, but to work in the between is extremely difficult, and this for me is biology. Most of people think in terms of structure toward function, reasoning, you know, and my approach is to start from the function and to try to come back to the structure because there is no good way to have a direct structural information on the supramolecular organization of life. One thing which also is very striking in your research is that you always have, and most of the time, you have been working on in vivo, right? In, in which in the sense that, well, there you're sure that the complex are intact and uh, you don't have, uh, you know, 
D'ici, de ne vraiment It's true that the basic interest of practically all techniques I have developed is that they can be used not on purified system, but first it was used on chloroplast, which already something very complex, then used on uh, in vivo system. Now I work all the time on leaves, entire leaves, and I think that even when you are interested in the property of a single complex, to have this complex in its true physiological environment is something essential. And I see many mistakes that have been made because people want always to work on purified systems which are in a very different environment than the biological environment. But in any case, This is true even when you are interested in the individual complex working in photosynthesis. But if you are interested in regulation or uh, in the general organization of the chloroplast and the interaction between of the chloroplast uh, with the other compartment of the cells, it's obvious in this case you have no choice. You have to work in vivo. But as you tell, as you said, it's Extreme, it's probably for this type of stu study that you need the more sophisticated techniques to have access, non-invasive techniques which give you access mm. to uh, in vivo systems. Yeah. No, one thing which also strikes me is that, I mean, you, you still publish, uh, I would say, almost regularly in, in, in journals like PNAS, mm. and in most of the journals, you, it's just you and uh, one collaborator. So you... you You know, in, 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 in contrast to when you look at most papers today, you have always teams of five, mm. ten or more people. But you manage, you manage just by yourself to, to still, uh, you know, um, make major contribution in the field. And I think this is, this is rather re remarkable. I mean, uh, My pleasure is to do myself the experiment. Uh, if I can find something interesting, I, will, I, I, I hope that I will do it up to the time that I have to leave the lab. Now, during these last uh, 60 years, you have lived through this. Last 60 years. <laughs> <laughs> you have lived through this uh, incredible biological revolution, right? I mean, it's ama amazing how the technology, how biology has evolved. How, how, how did you live this? I, mean, I would say that really, what is specific of my age, I start research in 53. And very curiously, the break is roughly at the time I leave uh, science for my military service, which is in 59. <coughs> to take an example, in fi between all my thesis, even the word of membrane was not used in photosynthesis. Nobody knows what was a membrane. When I come back in 61, it could be in, uh, in terms of uh, genetic uh, protein synthesis, photosynthesis, it's in uh, three or four years that 
I find when I come back from my military a completely different world. So that was in the late 50s when the yeah. for me, for me, the for me, the break in practically most of the field around interest me was in 55, 65. Mm -hmm. After, there is a lot of discovery, but for me, the, take for the photosynthesis, uh, Michel Ferry was proposed in, in the 60s, you know, yes. and when I leave my lab in 59, just the any of the concept used in the chemiosmetic theory, there is nothing. Mm -hmm. For me, I have the idea that it, it was probably a structure system, but the idea to organize all this complex in, in a membrane was completely out of my mind. The only membrane people speak was the membrane uh, outside the cell. My boss, René Vionser, had the idea very early that inside the chloroplast, lipid could correspond to barrier electrostatic barrier to movement of uh, charged particles and play a role in compartimentation of the cell. He, he wrote very interesting thing in the year 20 on this subject, but there is no real uh, support. How, how do you see the future of photosynthesis, the field of photosynthesis? Um, My feeling is that photosynthesis is not basically different of a lot of complex biological machinery, you know. But something which is exceptional in photosynthesis, which does not exist anywhere, is that we have to weigh away just in vivo to perturbate the system instantaneously in a non-invasive way by life. In other terms, for me, the interest of photoreaction now is not so much the the basis of the, the interest of the photoreaction by itself, but it's a marvelous way to perturbate a biological system in vivo, a complex biological system, in a very clean way uh, and perfectly controlled. In other terms, I think if we compare, for instance, photosynthesis and photosynthetic apparatus and mitochondria, I think both are very similar. But in photosynthesis, we have some possibility of action, some probe also, that does not exist in mitochondria. Both problems are very important, but for me, photosynthesis is a complex biological system in which nature offers to new uh, internal technique that allow us to manipulate in a simple way that many other uh, biological systems. In other terms, I think, uh, I, have, I think, as I have said at the beginning, that there is an infinite number of good subjects in biology, but I think that photosynthesis for this region has a real uh, avenir, how you said, uh, future, future yeah. Yeah. because we are lucky due to this internal machinery that we can manipulate easily. Yeah. And I, I think something which has always fascinated me in photosynthesis is that you can really reach in, in very different time domains. You, you can go from the picosecond to the microsecond to the... It exactly, 
And, and actually, to, to make the link between these time domains is not at all tri uh, trivial and, uh, and, and, and fascinating at the same time. In a certain way, you make a summary of my career because all my technical effort in spectroscopy was to have access to a range of time which cover from nanosecond to hours, you know. And more I become old, more interested, I am interested in slow, <laughs> you know, all the beginning of my career, I concentrated on the short uh, window. Yes. And now I shift more and more to slower and slower yes. window, you know. Yes, yes. But as you said, I think what is absolutely specific of photosynthesis is the range of time in which you can get interesting things from picosecond to, uh, I would say, a few minutes, which is at constant... Uh, with uh, no, no basic change in the composition of the machinery. And if, if now you are interested in genetics, in, in molecular biology, you have another scale of regulation, yes. this time in a much longer range of time. Well, I think we have covered a lot of grounds today. I wish to thank you again, Pierre Joliot, for this wonderful thank uh, you. talk with you. And thank uh, you, Jean-David, well. to have supported me and my English during such a That's time. My pleasure. <laughs> You've been listening to Annual Reviews Audio. For over 80 years, Annual Reviews has guided scientists to the essential research literature in the biomedical, life, physical, and social sciences. Learn more at annualreviews.org. I'm Ana Rasquet Paz. Thanks for listening. <laughs>